For all of you who listen to Mackie Second Floor Studios Presents Submersion and own an Android device, do me a favor. Go to the Google Play Store and download the Podcast Republic app. It's a fantastic app that allows you to get all of your favorite podcasts directly on your Android device. I use the app, and I love it. I can search for the podcasts I want to listen to, select them as favorites, and have them all just a click away. Make sure to set Mackie's Second Floor Studios as a favorite so you don't miss any of our new episodes. Again, the app is the Podcast Republic app, available on Android devices. Big things are happening in the submarine world. On September 4th at 9.30 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, Eric Marino, who's been on our show multiple times, has organized a Reddit AMA, where you'll be able to ask anything you've ever wanted to know about submarines at iama.reddit.com. We will be participating covering the submarine movie section, and here's just a few of the amazing confirmed guests. Stockton Rush, the founder and CEO of OceanGate Inc., a privately held company that provides manned submersible assets and expertise for commercial, research, and military applications. Commander Ryan Ramsey, the former captain of the HMS Turbulent. H.I. Sutton, the author of books such as World Submarines Covert Shores Recognition Guide, a researcher, artist, and owner-editor of HISutton.com. David Owen, a Royal Navy Trafalgar class veteran. Ian Ballantyne, author of The Deadly Trade, Hunter Killers, and Killing the Bismarck. Josh Dean, the author of The Taking of K-129 and writer for GQ, Popular Science, and Business Week. To stay up to date on everything regarding the AMA, head on over to submarines.reddit.com and be sure to join the community for all kinds of great information regarding submarines. Episode 31. Woo! And we are on to week three of... (laughs) There we go. It's growing on me. I don't condone it. Japanese movie month. There we go. And on this episode, we have an interview with an expert, Mr. Nick Palatichuk from the St. Paul Filmcast, who watched a movie that we accidentally told him to, and it's not the same one we watched. (laughs) So it's a good episode. (laughs) (laughs) He watched the other film by the exact same title as the film that we watched. Yes. So. So there was a little confusion. So we'll be talking about that at the end of the episode for your listening entertainment. That's hilarious yeah. that he watched that other one. Did I not predict it? I, ca- yeah. I was sending texts saying like, I can't wait for him to have watched the wrong movie. I apologize to him a lot because he was like, yeah, this movie that I watched has a 9% on Rotten Tomatoes. It's a terrible movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's one of the... Jamie, Jamie Lee Curtis said it was the worst film she ever made was yeah. that one, Virus. Wow. But don't want to jump ahead and saying what movie we watched. Yeah, I'll yeah. bleep that out. Yes. So I did something for the first time in my life this weekend. Did you take a bath? Had sex with a girl. Wow, I really went from six to midnight pretty quick. Oh, sorry. Yeah, we took, it, took it a little blue. A little yeah. early. Uh, I went to the Renaissance Festival in Minnesota. So that's the exact opposite of having sex with a girl. It Ew. is. It is a, uh, I don't know, prevention. Did they talk? An experience? In Old English? They did. A lot of people did. They were in character. I was, <laughs> I was just laughing about did you, it. Did you mess with it? Did you try to get them to break character? 
No, I didn't. I heard it's pretty easy, actually. For, it's for that place. Yeah, you just go up and push them, right? No, you ask them like what time it is, and they'll just like whip out their watch and be like, yeah, it's like three thirty. And you're like, oh, but you're in the Renaissance time. Ooh. Like, I don't. Well, I didn't try to that. do that. I was there because I love jousting. Yep. Uh, if there's ever like a medieval times around, I always want to go to it. Because I have a blast watching that. I don't know why. Yeah, we looked around for one of those nearby, but there's none in our area. Our there's like a the Norse woods. one. Yeah, up north though. Yeah, you northern go, Minnesota. You have, to, you have to go a real long way. There's yeah. one in Toronto you could go to. Perfect. Ooh, that is <laughs> really far. Yeah. <laughs> I think Chicago's a little closer. Yeah. And uh, I also got to do some axe throwing, which I'd never done before. And I'm not going to lie to you guys. This might sound a little cocky, but I was pretty good for my first time. I was really bad when I did it. So I, I, Renaissance Fair. I watched this dude who had like these massive guns, arms. Not not actual guns. Yeah, he didn't. He wasn't, you know. Packing heat. No. He was He's, not brandishing a firearm at Renfest. Right. But uh, he was throwing, and he was throwing them super high, and like even threw one back behind the thing, and then he couldn't get him to stick in the target at all. He had 10 throws. I went up. And I stuck eight out of my ten in the wood. Jesus! And like <laughs> three of them in the yeah. in the, like this little tiny bullseye. I was like, ah. Did you win anything? I won a rainbow feather. Oh, congratulations! It was the second feather of the day I won. That's nice. And my wife made me wear them in my hat because I had to pay to play these games and I needed to display it. Come on, Kyle. You know you actually wanted to do that. I got to say, this story has gone bit. on so long that if I had control of the uh, dive buzzer, um, oh, I'm going to be telling you. Yeah, I know. It's so good to have it. <laughs> it might have went off, but I know. Dive, 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 dive. Just took a second for him to find it there. What began as an innocent conversation among friends would soon spiral out of control and later be referred to by future generations as the eighth wonder of the modern world. Mac East Second Floor Studios takes you on the journey of your lifetime as your captains, Alex the Mustard Man, the artist formerly known as Brom, Jamie the Brain, Kyle L. Capitan, and Zach the Backbone present Submersion. All right. Yeah. So, we are one semen down tonight. That's true. We finally did it. We ejected Brom from the torpedo tube. Get get out of here. We gave him a little tether and an oxygen tank. We'll see how long he lasts. Yeah, we'll see if he survives. Yes. But Alex, what's up? <laughs> you sound like you're a million miles away. I think he probably is. I'm here. All right, Zach. <laughs> yeah. What movie did we get to watch today? Virus. So I like that yeah. a lot. So it's 1980s <laughs> Virus. It's a Japanese Canadian question mark production. It seemed like maybe it was a Canadian production. Nobody knows. Uh, it was also known as Day of Resurrection. That was the direct uh, translation of the Japanese title. It was Day of Resurrection. Oh, I was like, wait, the word That's... virus in Japanese means Day of Resurrection. No, no, no. no. The, <laughs> the Japanese title itself. But I guess it was released as Virus in the United States. Whatever release it actually ended up getting in, in the United States. Um. But yeah, I mean, I, I had heard of this before and thought it had been pretty well regarded, but apparently it was a, a massive flop. It was supposed to be released in the United States uh, widely, but um, really didn't get a release at all. So I don't know. I guess it's not particularly well 
uh, well-known or anything like that. Well, that's a shame. Yeah, I don't know. So it was directed by Kinji Fukusaku, written by Koji Takada, Kinji Fukusaku, Gregory Knapp, and the novel was written by... Sakio Komatsu. And that's actually a big part of the story of the making of this film is the fact this is based on a novel. And I'll get to that in the trivia. Oh, okay. Uh, it stars Glenn Ford as yep. President Richardson, Robert Vaughn as Senator Barkley, right. George Kennedy as Admiral Conway, Olivia Hussey as Merritt, Edward James almost makes an appearance as Captain Lopez. Didn't even recognize him. I didn't either. And then he's got somebody, like long hair. And somebody shit. said his name. I was like, wait, no way. Yeah. I know he's supposed to be in this. And then Masao... Kusakari is Dr. Shuzo Yoshizumi. And he's our hero, right? He is. Okay, yeah, Shuzo. And there's another guy I forgot to put on here, but yeah. uh, uh, he's an Connors old- or something like that. Yeah, Conway or something. Yeah. Call him an old Dolph Lundgren. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's a couple people that kind of were interesting uh, casting, but- Yeah. Whatever. So anyways- Hold on. Has anybody ever seen this movie before? No. What do you mean? What do you mean? Seen it before we actually watched but it. This before time? we had watched this, yeah, I no. like to keep you guys on your toes. Or no, I had never seen this. Before. I, I had not watched this before. Like, this like, the first time. I like to keep Zach involved. Oh, I see. Zach, did you see this one before? <laughs> <laughs> no, I. Have Alex, not, what are your favorite no, pizza rolls? <laughs> yeah, Alex, what's your favorite pizza rolls? Mm, I don't know. Regular, regular pizza rolls. The regular hell, flavor, dude. It's like bubblegum flavored, right? Wait, why are we talking about that? this? Anyways, we open in a snowstorm in East Germany. No, we don't. What do we open on? We open with some dude walking through the desert and it just says, virus. Uh, sure. I mean, I guess. Fine. <laughs> and then we're in the blizzard. It was funny, actually. Now that you mentioned it, I didn't even remember that because when they when he was walking through the desert or whatever at the at the end, I was like, wait, I feel like I know this scene. Like, what's yeah. going on here? That's from the beginning. Subliminal messaging. So then we jump to a snowstorm in East Germany where a scientist is trying to get a sample to kind of an agent who's going to transport it. Um, because it's a new biological weapon that the, has been stolen uh, from a U.S. lab called MM88, and so I wish they would have just dropped one of the M's. Yeah, maybe this is M M88. Like, okay, cool. Yeah, I said no millimeter eighty-eight MM88, and it is. Uh, he's trying to get it to the scientist in Zurich, who he thinks can potentially create a vaccine for it because it's like so dangerous. He said, if I open this. You'll be dead You'll within be three days. Three days. Now, do you remember from Agent Red, how long did that take to kill you? Oh, shoot. How long? It was hours, right? It was a couple hours, right? Yeah. And I said, talked about how ridiculous that was from a scientific point of view. Mm -hmm. This is how you do it. Three days actually kind of makes sense, given how like the virus yeah. functions and stuff. It like could that. work. It actually would make sense. Anyways, they say, everyone would die if I open this thing. It's got like 100% death rate. And we learn kind of why when they explain a little bit of science of it. And... Uh, we got to get it to Zurich. So anyways, when he was coming in to deliver this thing, you could see that people kind of acting a little shady at the front of the, when they were opening the gate for him. And so in busts like a bunch of agents from East Germany, because they've been alerted that this person's here with this biological weapon. They shoot the scientist. He gets shot right in the eye and dies. Yep. And then the agent that he's given the thing to, to try to get to Zurich, uh, escapes and is now in a plane. And it's basically <laughs> like, thank God I escaped. Uh, also, we're definitely not bringing this to Zurich. We're going to sell it to like the highest bidder or whatever. Like he wouldn't have been very happy about that. And then they get in a plane crash. Then they just yeah, like, crash they, into a side of a mountain. And then all of a sudden, boom, the vial breaks open on the side of a mountain. Now, you would think that being on the side of a mountain, no one would ever come in contact with this virus, but apparently that's not the case. It's just like immediately people start getting sick. Yeah. It was and, also it was also kind of weird because the guy 
who was going to give the virus. Yeah. Do you remember how much money they were going to give him for this thing? Could they could like fifty thousand dollars? Yeah, fifty thousand yeah, dollars for something that could alter the course of the world. You're like, all right. I guess that's all I want. Yeah. And he actually said, like, what do you think? I'm in this for the money? How dare you? But I was like, I would be like, 50,000. I can not really really uh... helping me out very much. I got to go on the run. I'm on on the lam from (laughs) U.S. government now. Yeah. Um, But then we cut over to Maryland. Yeah. So that's where they've developed. That's where they developed the vaccine in leagues with the U.S. military. And we see a scientist and he is real nervous. And we find out why he's real nervous because they had this file had been stolen from their lab. And By a, Klaus. By Klaus. I don't even know who that is. I guess that was a guy, that guy. It had to be that guy. <laughs> I never be. knew his name. Yeah. So a military guy comes in and says, like, what are you worrying about? We're figuring this out. Like, don't don't worry so much. And the guy's like, what are you fucking talking about? Let me explain to you exactly what this virus does. It piggybacks on other viruses and reproduces them a million times over. So the viruses that kind of live inside you would reproduce over and over again and kill you uh, and overwhelm your system. And so you can't really make a vaccine against it because it's kind of ramping up every virus in your body or something like that. Yeah. It's not really a virus in itself. It's kind of like a virus that... Ma- perpetuates other viruses mm-hmm. and stuff like that but guess what what's that this thing cannot survive in temperatures below freezing well no it, it goes dormant so it's, it goes it, dormant. it survives but it's that's it, it, true it so it would survive slowly. if yeah. you were infected beforehand and then you, you yeah. wouldn't yeah. you couldn't freeze right well maybe if you froze your body yes to freezing perfect they didn't try that they didn't try it they should have tried that um you should have been in this movie what's going <laughs> yeah. on here uh they so anyway everybody He's like, we're fucked. And then he like storms out a kind of, he also, he also has a feeling he knows exactly why this was going on. Like nuclear uh, weapons have kind of come to a stalemate where Russia and America both have these systems of retaliation that are automatic. So like, even if you launch a nuclear missile, the other country would destroy your country. So they can't really mm-hmm. use nuclear weapons anymore. And so they wanted to make the next step, which kind of puts Russia on their heels again. And it's, it's just like biological weapon or whatever. So he right. storms out and they figure out from like some papers on his desk that he's going to leak the information to the Senate committee mm-hmm. uh, on this kind of that controls this kind of stuff. And so instead they throw him into a loony bin. <laughs> yeah. You make him in Zach. Like, oh, we'll a, take care of that guy. <laughs> what I love is like, he's got like a standard uh, checkup tomorrow, right? You know, we'll do it. And- in my mind, I'm like, it's weird that he's so like aggravated. He's like, oh, I got to make that doctor's appointment tomorrow, though. Yeah. <laughs> he shows up to his like regular like checkup. He's like, I really gotta, really gotta leak this really important biological weapon information to the Senate committee, but gotta gotta have my annual checkup this morning. Yeah, <laughs> my health insurance rates are gonna go through the roof if, if I my triglycerides this, are high. Yeah, and then we cut on over to Russia where there's a bunch of cowboys riding around. Oh yeah, and sheep are all dead. They are. Which Boy is a little weird. Dead sheep. This is a little weird. Though, I mean, I guess this kind of tells you the impact of the virus itself, how it kind of functions not as like a specific virus, because, you know, a lot of viruses, you can't, you know, like a, a chicken can't get AIDS from a, a human. Or Have whatever, you tried right? it? That's true. Uh, as happens, often happens on this podcast, I have not tried this. And so I can't, you know, denigrate it. But you know what? It's possible. I just don't think it is. Anyways, <laughs> so chicken can't get AIDS from like a human. And yet the sheep gets this virus from the vial or from people or whatever. And then it spreads all across like the world or whatever. And it's called the Italian flu for whatever reason. Though it started over in Cossacks, uh, Soviet Union or whatever. Yep. Uh, they call I like it, it though. They call it the Italian flu. Well, it's way easier than saying like, oh, this is the Cossacks flu. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it's got a, uh, what is it? Uh, 100% death rate? That's right. It's 100% death Ooh, rate. Ooh, <laughs> yes, it does. And it so three days later, you will die. So anyways, the weird thing is that the president of the United States is kind of like wringing his hands a little bit about this whole thing. And yet at no point are they like, hey, Mr. President, you 
should maybe get into like a bunker and like be away from the virus. Because no one's weird. No one in the United States has it really. They should even show a chart and the US infection rate is like pretty low at that point. Mm-hmm. And clearly the idea is like over the days you can see people start to come in with the flu. And they have direct contact with the president. It's so strange. I'm like, no, 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 wait, this is like the worst possible viral, like virus containment ever. Like uh, every country would have something to stop this. It's kind of funny too, because you think about places like Hawaii and something like like, everyone in Hawaii should be alive. It's actually like a travesty that somehow Hawaii would get infected because- You'd have to stop people on planes though. And that's the thing though, they would have. T- they probably would have been able to in time stop yeah, people. Yeah, maybe. Planes. People are dying within three days of having the infection. Like, yeah. Once but all it takes is one person on that island. But then they'd be able to quarantine on the different islands that you can only get to from like little plane hoppers. And oh, stuff that's like true. That. Yeah. People are going to survive in Hawaii. That's mm-hmm. my main point of this argument. All right. Anyways, uh, the his opponent, his political opponent's like the senator, and the senator's like, you don't understand. You know, we know why this happened. It's because the military done fucked up, and you have a bunch of idiots in here. And this super weird five yard gen- five uh, star general comes in yeah. and is like. We know what this is. This is actually a ruse by the Russians. Like we got to put our ASR system, automatic, whatever, like into, you know, high gear. So we don't, you know, we can counteract this obvious devious plot by the Russians. Everyone's like, uh, I don't know about that. Cause then they bring in like the scientists and the scientists like, yeah, this is a weapon we developed. And he the one, the one that they tried to silence that saying he was crazy. And he comes in and he's like, no. And he explains the whole plot. And like the others, the other military scientists kind of relents and it's like, yeah, sure. Yes, that's what happened. And this five-star general is like super delusional and like continues to be like, it's the Russians. We got to like take out these Russians. He like won't accept the fact that the military was responsible and continues yeah. to think even as people, everyone is dying around him, including like the president and the senator. And he's dying too. He's He's gotten sick by the end of this whole scene. Yeah. And he can't accept this. So anyways, the president does a couple things here. One, he realizes that in Antarctica is um, separate and and just coming out of winter. So they won't uh, they won't have realized yet, or they won't have any contact for the entire um, uh, winter there. And so they shouldn't be infected at all. The virus wouldn't have got there. And anyways, negative ten, it, the virus would be dormant, and so they'd, they'd be able to get to a place that wouldn't have it. Anyways. Yeah. And so he calls down to them as like, you got to start a new civilization, work together now. We got the, got ourselves into this giant mess and you guys are the, the last hope for humanity and work together and, and you're going to do it. He's like, I don't have an answer for you though, yeah. other than hope. Yeah. Just, just like hope. And then he's saying like, you know, if only we had more time, if we had more time, we could maybe develop uh, a vaccine. And in his, he kind of was thinking on those lines with Antarctica, like maybe Antarctica will finally develop that vaccine, which is yeah. kind of like. It's like okay, what, yeah, what probably not. And yet, facilities and, down there for that. And yet, <laughs> oh yeah. But anyway, they start showing all the death tolls around the uh, millions, the world. Millions. So like, I did enjoy this because it um, Showed was kind of funny to me. Was. Well, it's just like New York, seven point four million. London, six point nine. Paris, two point three. Rome, two point nine. Moscow, seven point eight. And then it was Tokyo, ten million. But yeah. it was just like bum bum bum. Right. It's like. Now we're talking. So you're saying death toll 37.3 million, but in reality, it's uh, uh, multiple billion. So it's <laughs> yeah. like everyone dies. Um, and so anyways, they're on Antarctica and they're starting to collect people together to make this new civilization. So there's a bunch of countries that have bases on Antarctica and they send two representatives from each of those bases to form the, the initial government mm-hmm. uh, of this place. On the way, the Japanese delegates find an Argent- or Norwegian lady. I think it's Norwegian, right? I think it was Norwegian. Yeah. Yeah. And she was pregnant 
in Antarctica somehow, and she uh, gave birth while the rest of the people in in the Norwegian base like went crazy from lack of contact. They kind of went cabin crazy and or whatever. Killed everybody. And killed everyone. There was even a dead guy on a foosball table. Yeah, and I was like, wait, what? Why is that? I like that scene. I don't know why that's there, but <laughs> that's disrespectful for foosball. Yeah, come on, respect the game, guys. Yeah. But and, anyways, yeah. before this, that crazy general. Yeah. Before. Oh yeah, he arms the thing. So yeah, he's yeah, like yeah. he gets down into this underground layer after the president dies, and he's like, "Sir, do I now have your permission to arm the missiles?" He's like, yeah. "All right," and yeah. he just goes and, and arms he, it. Yeah, and he just goes and arms it, and now they're ready to launch it, Russia. Yeah, I thought he was just going to launch right there. You would think that maybe he would have, but he just armed it with the idea being that if something happened, if they were launched at, as he as he presumed in his crazed mind, what would mm-hmm. be happening, that they would then retali- be able to retaliate rather than just whatever. Even though he somehow, like somehow, he doesn't realize that everyone is dead. Like everyone is dead. He's one of the actually the last survivors. Seemingly. Yeah. So, anyways, on Antarctica, they stop and find this Norwegian lady who gives birth, and they, he leaves. The one of the delegates says, "Okay, you have to stay behind and help her give birth." Yeah, and, and get then, her back to the base. And then, I, but I'm going to go along and we'll form this government. And they kind of meet to form this government. And it's kind of like to start like a little bit of a shit show. It's like all these people who kind of hate each other. So the Chilean guy, uh, Edward J. almost, uh, and Argentinian guy like go at it and start like fighting. And U.S. and the Soviets don't trust each other and all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And eventually they're like, cut it out. Like we got to, we got to be like more reasonable and it's kind of like an army guy right who kind of does that right he cut, cuts yeah in. yeah like, well he just shoots a gun yeah he shoots a gun he's, he's like, like boom he's like you gotta we gotta be reasonable we're you're the like listen here Earth. partner yeah it's true i'm it gonna is. shoot you up <laughs> like aren't you swedish yeah i am yeah and uh, uh anyway there's a big disproportion in the amount of men to women yeah so we start to get some scenes of like what life is like in this spot and one of them is that there's this huge disproportion of men to women. So there's 855 men and to eight, eight women. And so they have this whole scene, and I could rant about this for hours, but I won't. But they have this whole scene where a woman gets raped. And she shows up to the tribunals, this like group of people who are representing the government, and are like, uh, this lady got raped. Like, you have to do something about it. No one's doing anything about it. We know who it is. Like, you should do something about it. And they literally hand wave and like apologize. for like, oh, come on. It's like human nature. Think about how many men there are and how many women. You're a most prized resource. Of course, it's going to be rape. And it's just like, Jesus Christ. Like, yeah. what? And they kind of try to make this whole evolutionary argument for like why it will exist and that they must counteract it with these like measures that are just like crazy. Like, okay. We have two options here. Either you can get raped or you can be a baby factory. Which are the two? I'm like, uh, I feel like that's not really a binary situation here. <laughs> yeah. Those aren't the only two options we have for the, you're literally prized reason. You just said it was like the most important people on the station. And you're like, you can either be a baby factory or just raped all day. Which one? Most prized resource that we prize so much. And it's really weird because they even have a woman on the council who's like, all right, this is her exact quote. We really don't know how to go about it just yet. Although the problem itself is certainly clear enough. Women have become our most valuable natural resource. And as has just been pointed out, one-to-one relationships are no longer possible. This means that each woman, however reluctantly, will have to accommodate more than one man. Of course, we will have to go against deep, personal feelings 
this is an extremely serious matter. But somehow we must find the will to suppress our instincts. And that is what troubles me the most. Can we? Can we control our instincts with reason? Unless we can, there is no future. It's like on the women to like do that. Like, <laughs> we won't be able to control our rapist instincts. But Come you guys on. should like. You got to do something. Totally do something here. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, oh god. Okay. So that part was super uh, weird. It's really strange. There's, there's arguments you could make that you could you could have you could have made some kind of interesting question of like, in order to create the diversity needed, like we will you will have to probably have a bunch of babies and you, you it might be something that we say like you can still have your husband or whatever but you might have to have sex with someone else or whatever sorry at the same time you're <laughs> the most prized possession so you get like everything you like run shit because guess what you're like literally the most important person in, around but instead they're like not only do are you still like secondary citizens of all this but we're gonna run this lottery every christmas and you open a card and congratulations you have sex with a new guy that just like randomly got drew, drew your name it's like yeah wait why don't they choose at least they can choose like, come on they, at least you know. can say you have to have sex with other people but you get to choose those other people it's like no it's a random lottery otherwise you'd get raped it's like what that's not a conclusion to this no not it How was happening it was super weird very strange i very strange. never thought you would have that dynamic in this movie no Oh, and we could, yeah, as I said, we could talk we could about go this on that really forever, long but, time, yeah. but yeah, really weird. But anyway, yeah. um, also a submarine, yeah. the T-232 radios nice. into the council. He's like, hey, we need help. They're like, who is this? He's like, it's Captain Smirnoff. I was like, I like this. That's great. This is awesome. So they're like, you we, know, they're we Russian. Gotta, yeah, we got a, we got a dock. And they're like, just quick question. And, uh, you know, since that, don't worry too much about it. It's not like a test or anything, but like, uh, do you have the virus or something? He's like, well, a lot of people are super sick. They're, they're like, like, all right, you can't come up. It'd be here. better. It'd be better if his answer was just, well, and they're like, okay, stop there. <laughs> <laughs> we got the picture. You have the virus. Like, say no more. You got the virus. Like, you're not. You can't dock. And they're like, uh, we're like a giant submarine, so we are gonna go done fuck you up, and we're gonna dock anyways. Yeah. And then another submarine comes on the horn, and he's like. I'm Captain McLeod, and I'm going to fuck those boys up. Yeah, and they're and like, who are you? And they're like, don't worry about it. Don't worry about my accent. <laughs> this is totally a British submarine. Like, you sound like a cowboy. And it's like, don't worry about it. And then he's like, uh, are you prepared to battle? And of course, like the sick Russian's like, let me check. And he pulls out his dick. He's like, it's looking pretty sickly. Dick, all don't sp- fail me now. It's all spotted. And Jesus then the other guy's Christ. like, okay, how about you check out this one? It's like a real healthy dick. And you're like, oh, he has no chance because they do. He like presses a button and they just like blow to smithereens basically. Yeah, they shoot this incredible missile and just goes under. And- it actually goes up into the air first and then into yeah the water, it goes right? up in yeah. the air then straight down the in the water and oh, yeah. just nails that so first it's an eagle and then it becomes a fish right right okay uh and then uh so they blow up the submarine and everyone's like you're a hero and just a quick question it's not like a test don't worry about it no pressure but like you don't have the virus do you and he's like we don't have the virus and they're like hooray we now have a submarine hooray and this kind of plays into a little bit of a dynamic of like making sure people don't go crazy a little bit because they do a bunch of patrols all around the earth to check on all the different spots and just make sure everyone's dead. Mm-hmm. And they radio back. They're like, 
everyone's dead. And like you see, see like Japanese people, the, the base or whatever, going crazy. They're like, everyone can't be dead. And then they get a radio from the submarine. It's like, uh, everyone's dead. We checked. And they're like, okay, now I'm not crazy anymore. <laughs> like, <okay>. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, no, that's even worse. Like yeah, you just you confirm should. the fear. Yeah. So, But while they're over in Tokyo Bay, uh, they do take an air sample mm-hmm. just to see if the virus is still present. Because they're like, hey, can we ever go back to the mainland? And it is present. It is. And the scientist convinces him, though, like not to dump the sample, like to keep it contained. Yeah. And they're he does use back. some good rationale he here. He does, yeah. This is good. Because he's, <laughs> they're talking about something. He's like, well, shouldn't we be dead from all the radiation in the core of the submarine? He's like, well, no, it's totally shielded. He's like, exactly. We'll quarantine it. And then he's like, good point. Done. Keep the simple. And it's good for them because we'll see why a little bit later. Oh. So anyways, we get finally kind of focus on our Japanese hero. Um, and he is in love with this Norwegian woman, but she has to have sex with random people because of society's laws and uh, the laws of evolution, I guess. <laughs> Whatever, but she so he's like kind of pining for her, but she has to have sex with all these random people, and he never he never wins the lottery. He's like, oh damn it, <laughs> didn't win the the lottery where I'd be the one person out of eight hundred and fifty five that gets to have sex with this Norwegian lady once a year and get her pregnant. Well, and, it. and you see at the uh, the Christmas party that they're all at where yeah. this is going on, Isn't there's like a million babies already. So many babies. The the one council member clearly had a baby with like the Soviet council member. <laughs> yeah. I was like, well, it seems like she got to choose. Yeah, <laughs> that's a little bit strange. It seems like kind of random that she just got to have sex with the other council member. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, there's all these babies and stuff like that. And so he's pining for her. And in the midst of his pining, probably we didn't get to see the scene where he like masturbates himself uh, while he cries to sleep. Um, but in the after shower. that, yeah. After that scene, presumably, he then studies his earthquake maps because he's an earthquake scientist. Yes. And he like falls asleep studying these earthquake maps. Um, so he doesn't have to think about his like lady love having sex with a random person. Uh, and I'm glad they here. did explain stuff after a while because this did get a little weird because they kept going on about the earthquakes and they're like, and this is going to happen so close to Washington, D.C. And I was like, why do we care? Yeah. And then they're like... Oh, because do you remember that time when that psycho general armed all those nuclear bombs? Well, they were aimed at Russia. And I was like, again, why do yeah, we why, care? Why does that care? Just blow up Russia. It's like, filled no, with nothing. It's nobody's filled there. With no one. Yeah. Yeah. And then they're like, oh, wait, but Russia has them armed and they're going to shoot back at the US. I'm like, still, why? don't care. Why do we care? We're in Antarctica, not yeah. in America. <laughs> it's like, oh, because at the very last moment, they had suspected that some kind of big weapon was being developed in in. Antarctica, and so they aimed one of the missiles here. And they're like, oh, fuck. Yeah. Fuck you. God damn it. Yeah. <laughs> like, why would you do that? What are, what would we be doing down there? What kind of manufacturing are we doing in Antarctica? Are you making a big weapon? I don't know. So anyways, they fucked everyone. And so, yeah, they, because he fell asleep looking at this like, map, this general, this, uh, the general guy had found it. And that's he's the one who brings it. And basically, like, we have to stop this. I'm going to go and stop this. This is dumb. They originally do this whole thing where they're going to draw tickets to see who goes. He's like, this is dumb. I'm going. And the Japanese guy is like, I'm going too because I can't have sex with the lady that I want. So I'm real sad. So I want to go too, which is kind of what he's saying. But he didn't actually say it in words. Right. He said it with eyes and I read them. Wow. So anyways, he ran out into the snow with this army guy. And he's like, I'm going. And the army guy's like, you're puny and small and weak. And he's like, I'm not that weak. And then he keeps on trying to fight him. And the army guy's just like punching him in the face a whole bunch of times. And eventually he even gets bit. Yeah. By yeah, the by Japanese him. guy. Yeah. Ow! God damn it! Jesus Christ! 
He bit me. And then eventually he just like punches him out and he's like, it's a wonderful life, man. But like you proved it by getting your ass kicked like a million times. You finally proved you're tough enough. So you're coming with me. And, and you look at that guy, the guy who's punching him out. I never would have thought like he would have been like, like the toughest man alive. No. Yeah. He's just like, like oh, a regular okay. person. This looks, looks like, like somebody's dad. And a little out of shape. Kind of got a dad bod a little bit going on. Yeah, he does. Yeah. But he's tough as nails. Yeah. So anyways, they devise this plan. They're going to go up to Washington, D.C., disarm this bomb. No big deal. It's the whole the whole system. Uh, and they're going to send all the women and children plus some a bunch of people, right, onto a icebreaker. And they're going to go away. Or is it just the women and children? I can't remember. I feel oh. like it's like a bunch of people, right? Oh, this might explain it should something be, It then. should be everyone, but- I don't know. Like, why wouldn't everyone go to Tierra del Fuego? Ugh, is that where they went? So weird. Yeah, they went to the bottom. They went to Chile at the, the bottom. Oh, of the my gosh. This changes my entire thought process on the yeah, end of left, the movie. Yeah. They left They left and went to Tierra del Fuego. I, it seemed like it was only women and children and a scientist at the end. Ooh, but anyways, we're getting it, there. it should have been everyone because why wouldn't everyone go and just like for safety go to Tierra del Fuego? Those dude, but whatever. You gotta go to Antarctica. Whatever. And so they they're going off, and at the last minute, the scientist who had got the air sample is like, "Hey, I developed a vaccine. Don't worry about it. It works, and you should both take it." And they're like, "Okay, fine, we'll take it." And so they get up to Washington D.C. after like five weeks or whatever, and after an also awesome piano solo by Edward James Olmos. Oh yeah, he plays some music. Do, 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 I was wondering do, do, when that do, even happened. Do, do. I was trying to remember back, and I was like, "When did that happen?" I just remembered Edward James Olmos playing a piano. Why? Why not? I don't know. Uh, and so they're going up and they end up getting to Washington, D.C. And I was waiting for them to screw up the visuals here, but they actually did a pretty good job where everything's like overgrown and kind of like dead looking and stuff. Yes. There's like weeds everywhere and stuff like that. And they run in to the the base and they have to blow up a bunch of doors. And in the process of blowing one of the big like shelter doors open, the army guy gets trapped under some sh- like a- Because there's an earthquake. Yeah, yeah. There's an earthquake that knocks down like yeah. something in the ceiling and- he gets blown yeah, up. Yeah, so the earthquakes are already starting and it's gonna it's potentially gonna go off. And he runs in last the Japanese guy runs in and he's about to turn the thing off when the earthquake hits and the missiles launch. <laughs> so he's like literally I'm waiting that he's gonna be the hero. And he's like, Nope, the missiles launch the straight up missiles launch. Yeah. And everyone like literally everyone dies. Yeah. Well, then you flash forward four years later. So, anyways, you think he might have died, but then it turns out he was in a sh- he was in the shelter that d- deep underground. So he survived the blast. I'm not sure how he survived this, the radiation levels. I was wondering that too. But anyways, maybe maybe the vaccine kind of works in that way. Like it kind of shields it was you from kind radiation. of radioactive, wasn't it? Yeah, that was the thing. It had something to do with radiation. So I'm I'm wondering if it, that that was kind of the explanation. It shields you against radiation. Plus, the virus can't survive that. So like. Everything that like kind of puts you in a level of radiation already that that kills the virus. So he was like, okay. Mm-hmm. And he starts walking in four – it takes him four years to walk all the way down from Washington, D.C. down to Chile. Uh, and he like stops a bunch of times. But anyways, we see the – He kind of loses his mind. Yeah, he's going crazy. Because he's like he's talking, talking to, like, through people. subtitles yeah. to a skeleton. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, what's going on? Well, no, that's like – that's like a Tuesday for me. But yeah. I talk to subtitles. I talk to the skeleton in my basement using subtitles all the time. Well, you have to. Otherwise, people would hear you. Yeah. I don't want them to hear me talking to my skeleton. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, they get, he, he's walking down there and you see a, a very quick scene of like the women and children and the scientists like sitting in like a house and they're like, we should take the icebreaker up north. And they're like, no, we're just going to die from the virus, asshole. Like, why would we do that? It's like, I have a, I have a vaccine. There. He's like, I've we given it to all of you. We don't fucking believe you. Okay. You're <laughs> fucking crazy scientist get out of here and then they're like wait who's that and this guy comes out and the uh, norwegian woman's like 
oh my God, it's my, my love and runs to him. And that's the end of the movie because it proves like the vaccine works and they're going to be able to go and repopulate the earth, I guess. Yeah. I think that's the idea. Although they don't have as many men anymore. So I guess they don't have to have those weird arcane raping rules anymore. Well, in just fact, all the women on the man. In fact, there's only, only almost too many women. Is there such a thing? So now he's going to have to have sex. He's going to have to go against his instincts and have sex with a whole bunch of women. Oh, no. Uh-oh. Oh, I had a joke here about how he uh, walked 500 miles and then he walked 500 more to yeah. be the man who walked 1,000 miles <laughs> right up to her front door. Yeah. Oh, so good. Thank you. All right. That's <laughs> that's that whole movie. Alex. Now, Alex, you didn't even watch all of it. I didn't finish all of it, no. You didn't or did? Did not. Did not. How far did you get into it? Mm, I. What were we talking about? The last one, the last scene I saw was when they were all in a room fighting about oh, okay. what so right to before do. the right before the rape delegation yeah and it was after i watched the uh submarine attack which was about oh, yeah. all of oh, the submarine go. action that we got in the movie from what i recall it's true that was most of the submarine the, the best that was the best submarine action for sure yeah it was so what based on what you saw what would you give this re- movie as a rating uh it was the story was okay not very believable i guess but some parts of it I did believe, like the governments were trying to, or the military was trying to weaponize something like this. I could understand, but from what I saw, about a five, just pretty average. All right. Wasn't bad. I would have liked to see finished it. It was very slow to me, but, and obviously not a lot of submarine stuff. So I'm glad I at least watched that, <laughs> but it was, <laughs> it was fine. Yeah, I'm sure. It is funny because it did have the best. It has a really, really great poster, which is like a submarine in like kind of orange and red and yes. kind of black. And it is probably like the best submarine poster we have of any of the films. But it is, and it, it there is like submarine focus in terms of it being the hero a little bit or part of the heroics of it. But otherwise, there's not a huge amount of like submarine, physical submarine in the film. Um. So, yeah, what about you, Zach? You know, I didn't mind it. Um, it's kind of like out there, but at the same time, it's not. I, I thought it was neat just how they kind of all – how it focused on Antarctica so much. You just don't see too many movies do that. Um, you know, when it was happening, I kept thinking of that one game. What is it called? Pandemic, right? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, they should be able to shut down the different areas, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's kind of what I kept thinking Madagas- about. Madagascar is not getting exactly the virus. Get right. Here. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, but it's a movie. It's entertaining. Not bad. What was it? 1980. So 1980 Japanese film. Yeah, Japanese film. So it wasn't bad for Japanese film from 1980. I mean, what was that? That's Empire Strikes Back. So it had a lot to compete with, but it was good. Um, <laughs> 6.5. All right. Very nice. Okay. 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 I kind of want to go last because you already gave you already did your score on the different interview, right? I did. So why don't you why don't you throw yours out there then? All right, uh, this movie I I enjoyed a lot of the stuff that I saw in it. I thought it was a cool storyline. The stuff with the whole women and men and the rape stuff. You're gonna was have to ignore super it a little bit. Weird. Yeah, it's gonna be something that may be a little a little troublesome. <laughs> yeah, that was really weird. Uh, I d- don't agree with that. No, <laughs> but. On the record, right, Kyle? (laughs) On the record. It's a controversial opinion, but. Yeah, but I'm not going to. I'm not going to agree with it. The submersion, the hosts of submersion do not support rape. Yeah. It's a controversial opinion. Yeah. And uh, just deal with it, I guess. Yeah. So 
the storyline was cool. I would really actually like to see this movie remade. I think it could be done extremely well. I mean, it kind of, there's been some that have come out in the last bunch of years that are not too dissimilar yeah. from the you ideas any submarines, of submarines though? No, they do not. They do not. You're right. There you go. That's a good point. They, can, they could really up that submarine action. They could. Draw a butler. Just get him in there. Woo! It's ready to go. Yeah. I'm going to go with 5.25. Wow, it's actually a little lower than I thought you would have went. Oh, really? Yeah. So I would have probably given this a seven. I I, I, I enjoyed the storyline, kind of what how they thought through. I'm going to take a little uh, 0.5 off for that uh, that weird uh, defensive rape that happened in the middle of it. I'm mm-hmm. not super keen on that. I think it's based on some pretty uh, weird and bad readings of um, science, uh, ba- like evolutionary science of sorts. I think this argument continues to today, but I think it's pretty flimsy. This idea of like rape being part of like a uh, reproduction and like being something that like the loser class of an animal species, it's like their only choice of like, per- uh, per- uh, you know, perpetuating their genes or whatever mm-hmm. like a pretty flimsy and, and and definitely wouldn't be something that you would be super keen on having be like the basis of a new government of the united states or of the, of world. the world or the population just not of the great world. just not yeah. a good thing and it's just like no i mean i'm just not i'm not super keen on this it kind of it's very much like a misogynistic uh viewpoint of like using science and rationale to be like who aren't we rational thinking thinkers and i'd be like no yeah that's like the worst possible argument you just made terrible arguments. right so we're gonna take a little five point point five off of that for that kind of shit. But otherwise, like, I thought it was pretty cool what was done. I thought it looked, you know, pretty uh, interesting and nice a lot of the times. I kept on think, I kept on waiting for them to screw up something to be like, oh, look at that. That looks silly and dumb. But they never really had anything that looked like super silly and dumb. And when they had yeah. to have a scene where people were dead or you're seeing dead bodies or you're seeing something overgrown or whatever, they did a pretty good job of it. And the storyline itself was, you know, fine. But so I would have given it a pretty high set. Seven's pretty high. Yeah. Uh, t- take that 0.5 off for a little uh, defensive rape. Uh, hard to defend. Yeah. So 6.5 for you, huh? Yeah, 6.5. Dang. Yeah. We all came in. Uh... Came in hot. Yeah. Wait, was this higher or lower than. No, lat- was it latitude zero that we were going that... pretty high on? No, you guys were going what oh, I yeah, would yeah, consider yeah. low. Okay. I gave it an eight. You guys were on sixes. Yeah, see, I feel like Latitude Zero got like pretty, pretty good love on this, uh, on this uh, yeah, show, but because it's freaking awesome. Okay, <laughs> it's got it does have a lion that's like has a human brain. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So, anyways, I'm going to do a little bit of trivia for you guys on this, uh, this guy. So, Haruki Kadokawa was the heir to a major publishing empire, and he decided to enter the film business in the mid '70s when he took over the business, and he was kind of this very eccentric, flamboyant uh, guy, and kind of this young guy. Uh, his his dad had been this very like stodgy and they made a very serious publishing business. And he was like, we're going to go straight into film. And the whole idea was to taking things that had been novels and turning them into the novels that they owned and turning them into these big feature films that eventually have an audience in the U.S. as well. So they yeah. had a couple huge hits in, in uh, Japan called like the uh, Inugamis and Proof of the Man. And so he started to, you know, do these. And by 1992, seven of the top 20 all-time highest box office grossing Japanese films were productions by this guy. Seriously? So, yeah. And eventually he was pushed out of the company because uh, he was just convicted of drug smuggling, um, feeding a cocaine addiction that he had, getting cocaine from the United States. Did he do it in a narco sub? I do not believe so. I think he did it through an assistant and that's how he got caught. <laughs> He's like, he went to never his, trust your assistant. He was like, Hey, my assistant, can you get me some cocaine from the United States? And the assistant was like, uh, I'll try. And then got caught and was like, he asked me to. And then he went to jail. 
for like four years. So anyways, uh, Katakawa put 2 million yen into this film, making it the most expensive film at the time in Japanese history. Uh, it was supposed to be his big breakthrough into the international market, and he tried to ensure the success by casting a bunch of U.S. Uh, stars. I would say stars in quotations a little bit. They were they were kind of older stars, a little bit like cowboy, right. cowboy type, type people and TV stars and stuff like that. And he did a huge amount of promotion. So it was a huge flop. It, it was released, or it had a 155-minute long cut that was shown at the Cannes Film Festival. That was supposed to be the American version of release. Yeah. But it wasn't, it wasn't finished. Eventually, they cut it down to like 109 minutes or something. I think that's what 100 – 100, yeah, 109 minutes or something like that, I think. Yeah. That's what we had, like 149 minutes or, or an hour and 49 minutes. Yeah, because uh, when I originally got this, I had to get it through a um, a lending program. Yeah. <laughs> like, we can't get our hands on the three-hour long one. Right. I'm like – Good. I don't want that one. Well, apparently, <laughs> apparently, it's, apparently it's available just for free to view online. The that free, one the, is? The one, uh, yeah, 155 minute long one. Oh, wow. So you can just find it. Great. <laughs> we didn't watch that one. We watched the one that was eventually shown in the United States, but it didn't re- even get a partic- uh, a release. It just was shown sporadically in some special showings and then was eventually shown on TV and stuff like that. So the interior shots for the two submarines were actually the same submarine. They were filmed apor- uh, aboard the Canadian submarine HMCS uh, Okanagan, and that's the same one. You may recognize that name. Same one that was in the uh, Neptune Factor. Oh, um, Alex's favorite movie. Yeah. So that one, it was also, it was mentioned in the Neptune Factor too. Oh, we got the uh, Okanagan in your uh, in your vicinity. Like, they'll go and help. Yep. Uh, the Chilean Navy gave strong support to the filming of this movie. The two submarines, the outside of the submarines, uh, were the same submarine. There is CNS Simpson, originally the USS Spot. It was a Balao-class submarine that was originally in the U.S. fleet. It was given to the Chilean Navy. Hmm. Um, and it get, got some uh, international publicity when a Swedish ship, the MS Lindbald Explorer, which was transporting the production unit to Ant- Antarctica for some of the filming, struck a reef and almost sank. And the Chilean Navy came and saved them. Dang. Yeah. So they were they were pretty heavily involved. And then finally... Haruki Katakawa originally wanted John Frankenheimer to direct. Now, who would have done well in this film from other Frankenheimer films? Now, before I even get into that, though, quick Frankenheimer impressions. Go. Hey, yo, I'm John Frankenheimer. What's up? It's like he's in the room. It's crazy. You you should see him. His face actually came and and transformed. He looked just like Frankenheimer for a second. Mm -hmm. I was like, whoa. Oh, shit. It was really scary, actually. Dude, Zach does a really good Frankenheimer impersonation. I don't do that anymore, Kyle. Come on. Oh, oh, come shit. on, dude. Oh, fire. No, is that, isn't that uh, Frankenstein? Ayo. Good joke, right? Good joke, right? Anyways. Alex, you got one? Mm, no. <laughs> Not into it. Well, fuck me running. Well, I guess it's just me doing Frankenheimer. It was really good, though. So Thanks. congratulations. Uh, okay, so w- what are these other actors from Frankenheimer films, whether they will do well in this film? Val Kilmer from The Island of Dr. Moreau. Ooh, dude, he would have been good as like the guy that went to DC, the tough guy. Yeah, back in this time. Yeah, not now. Not now. <laughs> like, tough right so, now. so like skinny Val Kilmer. Yeah, skinny Val Kilmer before, or in shape. Yeah, I think he's he uh, he's cancer. getting in shape for the Top Gun sequel, right? Yeah, that's what I heard. I saw him in a, I saw him in a movie called The Snowman, and it was some rough stuff. <laughs> that was last year. It was a movie from last year. It was not good. Uh, okay, what about Gene Hack- Hackman, who is in the French Connection Two? I put him as the admiral, like the guy who's running the whole the whole uh, council thing. I think he could have been the president too. 
Doesn't he? He plays the president in something. Oh, welcome to Mooseport. That's right. Yeah, he plays the president. Welcome to Mooseport. So it could have been just that. It could have just been set in Mooseport, the first part of the film, and then the rest of it down in Antarctica. You would what need about, Ray Romano somewhere. Oh, for sure. Ray Romano's definitely in there. Ray Romano is the political opponent, obviously, just like in <laughs> Welcome to Mooseport. Get out of here. Or would he be, would Ray Romano be the Japanese guy with the love interest? Hey, I, I can't do it. <laughs> I can't do it though. I even in my head, I can hear his voice in my head. I just can't mimic it. <sighs> Anyways, I'm I, I'm ashamed. Uh, Robert De Niro, Ronin. Oh, De Niro. some good people here. Yeah, he's directed a lot of good people. Who would I put him as? Who would you guys put him as? If I had to, you have to. Yes. The uh, scientist that goes crazy at the beginning. Even though he wasn't crazy. Yeah, so you'd, you'd only give him like a little cameo on the film, huh? Yep, that's all he gets. <laughs> nice. <laughs> what about Ben Affleck in Reindeer Games? That's a serious movie? Yeah, Reindeer Games. You never heard of Reindeer Games? No. You never seen Isn't it, Kyle? That's his character. His, do you know what his character's name is? Um, I Blitzen? can't remember. Rudolph. It's Rudy, yeah. So Rudolph, and uh, he's because he's Reindeer Games. Uh, but uh, yeah, I'd say, I think he'd be the Japanese. Guy. I mean, he'd be the, the character that kind of is like the young guy. He's like pining for this woman, but he's going to be like the hero. And then he walks uh, a thousand miles to be at his uh, love's front door. Yeah, and Val Kilmer's punching him. Oh, for sure. And then what about Ed Harris, who's in the French Connection three, even more French? Ooh. Now Ed Harris would be the tough guy, but he'd be on screen a lot more. Yeah. For sure. He'd have to be on the screen a whole bunch, right? Yeah. And then what would he Well, do? he could be the sub captain. Reprise his role. I think actually it would be good if he was a tough guy because then they'd go in and he'd blow the door off, right? And yeah. then the earthquake could happen and all the stuff would fall on top of him. And, and his abs like, just like yeah, they'd, unpenetrable. They'd come, they'd come over, he'd come over and be like, oh man, I got to get you out of here. He's like, I can just slip right out. <laughs> and he slips right out. And it's like, I covered in grease. Get out of here. I am at Harris. Then he'd go and turn off the bomb and be like, that's how we do Dude, it. Dude, it's that easy. Actually, you try to turn off the bomb and it's all slippery. He's got grease all over his hands. He can't do it. And then the bomb's launch. He's like, shit. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. <laughs> all right. Uh, so Phantom Zone. Engage the Phantom. Phantom's engaged, sir. Now, I wrote, I started writing a program to actually do these Phantom Zones for me, but I think it actually made it worse because now I can go like a million times in a row. Like no movie doesn't have like a million ways you can go. Yeah. I just kept on going and going and going. So I'm going to start out with Glenn Ford. Now, he played President Richardson. I love made up presidents in films, kind of this idea that he was elected and trying to think of like, I wonder how, what he was like on the campaign trail and how he got elected by the American people. Uh, <laughs> but also because he, uh, he was in a whole bunch of submarine films. So he's in T- Torpedo Run, The Flying Missile and Destroyer. And so wow. I could just finish this off pretty easily by going to Torpedo Run, which, yeah. which Borg 9, but nah, not going to do it. I'm going to do Destroyer. So in Destroyer, uh, Regis Toomey was in that, and he was in a bunch of uh, classic submarine films as well. Uh, and that includes Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea, starring Walter Pidgeon, who was also in The Neptune Factor, our yep. favorite film. Now, uh, Yvette Mimo was in that film, but also in a TV movie called The Fifth Missile. So she was actually in two submarine films against all odds. I didn't realize that. Yeah. Uh, it has a bunch of famous people in it, but one of those people that aren't isn't famous is Jeff Harding. He's in that and the 1997 version of 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. So there's another 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. How did watch. I not know about that? So he plays Ned Land in that version. He's also in a Canadian production, another one of our favorites, love those Canadian films, uh, called Buried on Sunday. 
The star of that film was Jeremy Ackerman, who was in K-19, The Widowmaker. So we're getting pretty close. Yeah. That features Le- Lex Shrapnel, his real name. <laughs> That's uh, not like fake. Lex Shrapnel. That's his name. That's amazing. That is. And who was in Thunderbirds, which also features Dimitri Goritzas, who was also in X-Men First Class. And that features Jason Beggy, who was in Phantom. Wow. Yeah. So that was a whole new, completely new cycle that I did with this new computer program. But I'm trying. To, I'm going to try to shore it up so I can get like real quick uh, ones rather than these like long, long videos. These long ones are fun too. So pretty impressive. Like, real quick and and through like high. I want to kind of limit the number of credits you have to go through. Right. Like, so like if it was top credit, it'd be something like The Abyss. Top credit is Ed Harris. Yeah. And that jumps to top credit at Ed Harris and Phantom. I'd like to get it so you try to minimize the number of credits that you have to go through. So if you had to go yeah. through like credit one, credit one, credit one, credit one, that's four. And the average would be one credit, top credit per movie or whatever. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like some next level <laughs> stuff. Again, I thoroughly believe that you need to write some kind of thesis and there is actually there is actually a journal out there for like useless research so i knew someone in grad school who wrote an algorithm for seating people at weddings and published it online through this journal and then how is it useless no no but it's just like it's not under any like actual umbrella real research or whatever so this could technically be something where it'd be like an algorithm to find for these keywords or whatever the easiest route or whatever to from one movie to another all of them having this one like keyword submarines being the example that I would use. So It'd I could get pretty it crazy. If we have a publication out of this podcast. I would 100% not give you an authorship. Get out of here. I don't I care. Would I didn't write you, any of no, it. I'd give you an acknowledgement. Don't worry about it. Thank you. Maybe like a inspiration credit or something. No, I'd be like acknowledgement discussions with Kyle Smith. <laughs> oh, sorry. You got to bleep that out. Do you use your full name on this? <laughs> it's a fake name. Okay. <laughs> Anyways, it's time for subs worldwide. It's it's subs subs world world wide 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 So week three of Japanese movie month. Gotta continue the trend of doing Japanese subs. The Soru class nice. is a diesel electric and this submarine is newer. It was launched in 2009. Has a special X-shaped stern. Yeah, special X-shaped stern fins that allow it to operate extremely close to the seabed and some computer-aided controls that allow it to maneuver quite well. Hmm. So the length, 275 feet. Bomb, that's long. I like that. Yeah. Speed, while it's surfaced, it can only go 13 knots. Don't worry, you dive under, you're going 20 knots. Operational depth, 1,640 and a half feet. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> yeah. Down to the half foot? Yeah, I know. It's kind of weird. But then crush depth. Did they is... actually, when you looked it up, because I'm seeing that it has two decimal points. Did they have two decimal points when you looked up this data? We have uh, 1,640.50 feet. So yeah. down to the second decimal yes. place? My God. Yeah. So crush depth was 2,953 feet. That sounds like, like they actually- cr- lower. And only that, that's very specific. Did they actually, cr- they were like, okay- Lower number of foot, still not crushed. Lower another foot, still not crushed. Yeah. Lower another foot, now it's crushed. Yeah. That's crushed depth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know how they test that mm. exactly. Uh, four engines generate 5,950 horsepower. The crew holds 65 people with nine officers. For weapons, it has six 533 millimeter torpedo tubes. Can hold either 30 Type 89 torpedoes or 30 Harpoon anti-ship missiles. It is said that due to the advancement in the lithium-ion batteries that this sub 
might just go to electric propulsion totally one day. Wow. But I don't know how you would charge them back up. Wow. (laughs) Uh, The first class, this actually is the first sub in Japanese history to break naming convention. So most of them were named after ocean currents. However, with Hmm. these- That seems really lame. That's extra lame. Yeah. But then they went super badass with it and went with mythological creatures. They're going to have to do that. That's amazing. I like yeah. mythological creatures. So the very first one was the blue dragon. Great. Love it. Ooh. Then we have the cloud dragon. I like that one better. I like cloud dragons. It makes me think that it's a dragon made of clouds. It could be. Then we have the white dragon. Okay. The sword dragon. That's cool. So it's okay. made of swords. It is. Nice. The auspicious dragon. <laughs> That's interesting. <laughs> I was like, I wouldn't want to be I got to pull out my dictionary for this one. Yeah. Let's see what's happening. The black dragon. Benevolent dragon, huh. red dragon, pure dragon, oh, and soaring dragon. So they're just all dragons. What's your top one? What, guys, what, what's your top one of that list? What one would you want to be on? White dragon. Yeah. I'm, go, I'm going cloud dragon. I love that one. I mean, sword dragon's pretty cool too. Sword but. is pretty good. Yeah. I like to keep it classic and go red dragon. That's pretty good. Or black dragon's good too. What's your I mean, last a, one? My last one's benevolent dragon. Get out of here. I think auspicious dragon. I don't want that. Dra- I don't want that dragon. That dra- I don't probably, want my sub to be benevolent. I want it to be. <laughs> I want if you it to could crush ride its around enemies. in that thing, you, it, and it was called red dragon, you get some good flames going on that. Oh, that's <laughs> oh that'd be cool. Uh, yeah, paint, uh-huh. that, paint those flames on it. Yeah. Uh-huh. So, anyways, they've got fourteen of these planned to be built. Eight yeah. are currently in commission, and one is launched and just like in testing phases. And Japan was actually going to manufacture some of these for Australia, and Australia did find them extremely impressive. They ultimately went with the French shortfin barracudas. Hmm. Probably got it for a better price. Maybe. Maybe dude, I can turn on a dragon for a barracuda. This actually reminds me, too, as part of the trivia or whatever, I said it was a Chilean sub that was seen from the outside or whatever. Yeah. It's pretty cool to see it, like, floating around uh, Antarctica. It was really in Antarctica, Antarctica doing a you know bunch of stuff, so they yeah. were, like, filming it down there. But it was also, because it was from the U.S. and had been in, like, World War II and stuff like that, and then given to the Chilean service, and that was 1980, and it continued in service for several years after that. Yeah. It was, uh, according to Wikipedia, who never lies, uh, as we know. Uh, it was the last sub working uh, that had a deck gun. Really? Yeah, it was the last one like actually out on active duty with a deck gun. That's pretty slick. Now n- none of them have that kind of stuff. So. Lame. Yeah. Probably creates a lot of drag, I would think. I, just, I, I think what they found, what I had read at some point when I was looking at that kind of stuff is that they just never were used. Like there was never really a situation in which you like jumped up onto the deck and used your deck gun. Uh, so like they decided to start stripping it away because it was useless. Like no one yeah. used it. Well, you think about it now with the the advancements and subs and stuff, where they can stay submerged much yeah. longer, it would make more sense for those earlier ones. You're you know, you just kind of like, ship. yeah, you just kind of dive to get away from stuff. But all right, Alex, you got any uh, sweet news for us? <laughs> there is never any good submarine news anymore. Um, Tough times. Make submarine news good. What is it? Make submarine news uh, great again? Yeah. That'd be nice because this would make this a hell of a lot more interesting for people listening. Um, first thing I found, the Navy's building a new ballistic missile submarine that is truly stealth. So I guess all the other ones aren't stealthy. I'm not. <laughs> I have no clue. Anyways, it's a new class of submarines is what they're saying. And uh, they're somehow 
going to try to rig this up. I'm sure you'll talk about this one day, but uh, some sort of new electric motor uh, that's going to be more efficient and more quieter is what they're saying. I don't know how it works. <laughs> is it the Columbia class? It might be. Yeah, Columbia class, yep. Hmm. Have you done have you talked about that yet? No, 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 I have not. Uh, uh are they uh-huh. all right. Does it have any info on there? So is it like nuclear powered, but then they're gonna use this electric motor or something? Or are they diesel electric? Yeah, it says using an electric motor optimizes use of installed reactor power in a more efficient way. So they can do that. There's also an essay, if you're really worried about it, it's called Evaluation and Comparison of Electric Propulsion Motors for Submarines. Uh, And this is definitely someone we should get on our show sometime. His name is Joel Harbor. So Is that a real name? Yeah, Joel Harbor. I like it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then I found another fun one, and I'm pretty sure I talked about this early on, long ass time ago. Uh, But... The Russians are back to tampering with the undersea cables again. <laughs> so, are they really? Yep, this is what it's saying. So, uh, this one went a little bit more in detail, though, about what they actually can do. And it actually had some history about it. And it says uh, that people actually, uh, in times of war, would tamper with the transatlantic cables from even all the way back in World War One. Now, I didn't know that, so that was actually kind of interesting to read that. Um, and then they were saying that the Russians... Uh, don't have there's different kinds of cables under there is what they're saying and there's one that nato uses and there's one that the pentagon uses why the pentagon one's underwater i have no clue (laughs) so uh but anyways there's a way uh supposedly u.s ships have a way to get into these cables and they can hack it or control it from there is basically what this article is saying and they said that the russians don't have that capability so what they got to do then since they can't hack it they just got to go down there and destroy it and they said the submarines can do it but then they also have smaller subs three people subs that fit onto a like a research vessel uh, to disguise it and then they just drop it down there and go destroy it from there oh so just down there cutting cables yep so such a said, funny game. Uh, it is. They said uh, that someone cut one before. It was an accidental cutting. I don't know how it was accidental, but in 2008, and it crippled the U.S. drone operations in Iraq for several days. So, really? Yeah. So I don't know how they're able to uh, how they're able to get down there and fix it that quick. I'm sure if you can go down there and destroy it with this mini submarine, you could probably fix it. But I I wouldn't think it would be easy at all. No, so no knows. kidding. Piecing together a cable like that underwater? Yeah. How many miles of cable do you think are under the water right now? I'd say millions. <laughs> it's a fair <laughs> estimate. I, I really have no idea. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I'm going to I'm going to grossly underestimate like how much horse is eaten in Japan. <laughs> yeah, you <laughs> did. That. Yeah. Uh, so did you see this article about the, did you mention the one about the, uh, submarine that was vandalized? Did you see that one? I did see that one. In Hackensack? Hackensack, yeah. Did you talk about that one? I think. No, I didn't actually. I read the news article on it. I was trying to think if we did, but no, I have not. Right. Yeah. Hackensack submarine USS Ling apparently flooded intentionally. And then the memorial plaques were stolen. 
I literally cannot find in any of these articles what the motivation for that would be. They're saying mo- no. vandals got on and they're claiming that these vandals must have known the workings of the submarine because they opened pretty specifically like the bilge tanks and stuff like that. To s- flood it. To flood it. And then it, it they stole these plaques that are worth like $10,000 each or whatever. And it's like, yeah, I guess I could steal these plaques, but who are you going to sell these fucking plaques to? Like, yeah, they're they very you know specific. they're stolen. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's a shame. Yeah. I think the sub crazy. is also... It was a museum, but it ran out of funding, so it's just yeah. been sitting there, and it says it's too expensive to move it, right? Yeah, that's what, that's what they're saying in this thing. So they, they basically went and they sold the land. The land has been sold already to make into like a residential like apartment building, I think. Hmm. Um, That'd be pretty cool. Look at your apartment. There's just <laughs> a sub sitting there. You're like, oh, yeah. yeah. But they haven't, you know, they don't have the, the funds to move it, move the submarine, so they've been trying to figure out how to do that, and now it gets like flooded, and it's going to cost like thousands of dollars to, you know, Oh yeah, get the the water out and like fix it back up. That's Vandals, terrible. You know what we should we should get it here. Yeah, what do you think? We could do that. Yeah, we'll get it into the river can or something you, like that. Can you like transport it over the road? How would you get it, dude? Put it on a train or something. Like that. Could just fly your helicopter over there too. Do you want to just fly that one over there and pick it up? I don't have one yet. You don't have the helicopter? What happened to it? Uh, Brown's borrowing it. That's why he's- uh, That's where he is. Damn it. <laughs> well, we needed somebody to go pick him up because I know we give him a hard time, but we needed somebody to rescue him after we ejected him. I see. Damn it. Okay. Well, we don't have our submarine picking up helicopter. It's a giant helicopter. You should see it. Yeah. It's actually 600 feet long. <laughs> it's incredible. <laughs> yeah. It's more of like an airship or like a dirigible. <laughs> but bigger. Yeah. How big would those wings or blades have to be for that? Oh, I'll tri- we can check when it comes back. Millions. We'll of just measure. We'll measure it when it comes back. It's huge, dude. <laughs> All right. Do we have everyone's favorite? It's my favorite. Zach Facts. No. Do 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 do. Zach Facts. It's Zach Facts. When you're going down, get some Zach Facts. When you're going down. Oh. Just kidding. Right. That's Zach Facts. Ooh, so we'll just we'll just cut it there. <laughs> no, just, boom. that's it. <laughs> that would be a funny way to end an episode. Good, actually. Yeah, go through the ver- go through all of like the the things, and then after you say like, <laughs> follow us on Twitter, and then then we put the Zach facts after that. Yeah. <laughs> it's for the true listeners. Um, yeah, I've only got a few this week. There weren't too many Zach facts for this. Um, Zach facts for virus. Um, the film when it was released in North Korea. Uh, they made the North Koreans appear immune to the virus, thus saving the world after everyone died. I would love to watch that version of that movie. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like great North Korean propaganda. In some ways, it would actually be possible, right? Because not too many people are coming in and out of North Korea. That's true. That's true. (laughs) That is true. They never checked. They never (laughs) set the sub over in North Korea. It actually would have been a really funny scene with the U.S. president being like, uh, oh, if only we had more time if someone could survive this virus. And they look at each other like, North Korea. And like, hey, you guys, have you had the virus? Like, we don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> we literally don't talk to anyone. No, we're just here. What are you talking about? What's happening? <laughs> <laughs> All right. And the only other Zach fact for the week. Sorry, there's only two. What? I know. Jamie oh. Lee, Cur- I got another one. Jamie Lee Curtis only agreed to do this film. Uh, after learning that it was not the 1980 version. Wait, what's happening? Anyways. Yeah. <laughs> That's a great one. <laughs> um, 
No, uh, this next one's pretty simple. This movie, Virus, inspired James Cameron to write Titanic. Oh. oh. This this one. Yeah. He said it, it in an sense. interview. It does make sense because at the end of Titanic, when Jack shows up having walked 4,000 miles um, after, you know, he floated for a while on that board for about 80 years or whatever. And then he shows up at the very end. 80 years. After, wa- after walking to the ship. Uh, and he finally reunites with Rose on the deck of that ship. Was he living off of like seaweed and sea turtles and yeah, stuff? Yeah, mostly kelp. Oh, okay. And become he became friends with a whale, and that whale like helped him survive. Oh, he that's learned cool. whale language. He actually mostly talked in subtitles to whales most of the time. Hmm. 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 Wonderful. Is that the director's cut of that movie? The director? Do you ever see them? Do you ever hear like what the director's cut of that movie actually was? No, this is, this is not even a Zach fact. Uh. It was that that Rose was going to commit suicide at the end. It's like this like kind of thrillery ending where they find her like standing on the edge of the uh, the boat, like kind of the uh, she's climbed over the railing or whatever. And yeah. she's about to jump off. And they're like, Rose, you you don't have to do this kind of stuff. And they try to convince her. To, I like, think they actually really? filmed that scene, didn't they? Yeah, they filmed it. Yeah, you can yeah, see it. You can, I saw you can that. see it online. Yeah. It's crazy. It's like a really weird tonal shift, like at the very end of the film, at the at the end of the movie. Dang. Yeah, and they, I would have liked the movie it. a lot better. She's got a gun all of a sudden. Mm. It's like, ew. Like, Rose, you don't have to do this. At Mac East Second Floor Studios, sometimes we don't have all the answers. In dire times like this, we've decided to call in the very best. Welcome to an interview with an expert. So here we are with an interview with an expert, and tonight we have Nick Palatichuk from the St. Paul Filmcast. How are you doing tonight? Great, great. Thanks for having me on. I'm really excited to be on this podcast. This is uh, I've been listening to you guys since you guys actually started, so thanks for having me. Dang. Yeah. You're one of the few. Well, I, I consider myself movie savvy. I've watched a lot of movies. I've, you know, went to film school and stuff, but you guys find movies I, I've never heard of. It's really fascinating. <laughs> It's also aggravating because I think I know movies, and then you bring up one. I like. I never heard of that. I gotta. I have to see that. Well, then I'm on the other opposite end of the spectrum, I guess, because I'm. There's a lot of uh, you know very popular movies that I've never even seen, and I know all these really weird, obscure ones, like the the one for tonight. But I mean, whatever. <laughs> right. Well, it kind of explains how we got in the situation we did because we were going to watch a movie called Virus. Well. <laughs> <laughs> For our listeners, there are a few a few movies called Virus. They are, there are, yeah. <laughs> and we'll get into that a little bit later. But uh, I met Nick. He brought Jamie and myself onto his show, and we talked about Popeye, which is a very unique, strange movie uh, starring Robin Williams. And we had a heck of a time going up to his place and recording an episode. There it was a lot of fun. I'm glad you guys enjoyed it. I try to keep it at the studio space perfect for, yeah, everybody. Everybody, you know, we get quite a few guests come on the St. Paul Filmcast, and I do have, you know, pictures on our Instagram accounts of the studio. It's all literally comic books, and everybody's just amazed when they come in there. And sometimes they get distracted, too, because I ask them a question, and it, they're, they're sitting looking at the wall, and they're, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, your guys were, it was great. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. It was nice. Actually, fine to get to meet you guys. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. No, it's always, uh, it's always great to meet, uh, other local podcasters. I don't know how many of us there really are, but uh, it's nice. Yeah. And so you just mentioned comic books, and if I'm not mistaken, you are working on one, are you not? 
Yeah, I got this is kind of weird because we're doing um, we're gonna do I'm gonna critique a movie called Virus that came out in 1999. It's actually based on a kind of comic book. And then I'm actually coming out this fall, so in a couple months, of my own comic book, my first ever, my own comic book called The Greenway. And so um, we're going to be submitting it in a couple of weeks for publication. Um, it's a takes place in 1968 in St. Paul. It's a gritty murder mystery kind of a thing, very film noir, dark, you know, brooding characters and stuff like that. So um, it's kind of a, a style I really like. And I kind of like murder mysteries, so of course I'm going to put those all together. So, oh, that's very exciting. Yeah, it's, I've I've been working on this book for about ten years, and now we got to the point that we're finally able to get it published. It's just so many rewrites and rewrites and rewriting and rewriting till they get. To yeah, the, yeah. Which sadly, these movies were critiqued didn't do any rewriting. Ah, uh, yeah, there could have been some rewrites. <laughs> So you write the story. Do you do all the illustration and stuff too? Yeah. Uh, yeah, because I wrote the script, and I'm not a really good writer per se. It's not my natural thing to do. So I wanted to write a story, and that's what took so long is I actually did research about 1968 real events. So it took about three years of just researching, you know, because I wasn't live in 1968. So I had to do a lot of extensive researching and look at old photographs and um, events and what St. Paul looked like, and then um, the story. It just it took a lot of time to develop a story that I felt was a I felt comfortable releasing out to the world, and that happened about 2015 when I was done with it. Now I've started to draw it, and it's all ready to go. This is actually we're only releasing the first book, so there's other two books coming. So we're releasing book one coming in a couple months, and then following by book two. That's awesome. Actually, I was working drawing on book two as uh, I stopped drawing. I was working on it right now, and I stopped just to podcast with you. Oh, shoot. Well, I hope that you weren't like, you know, on a really <laughs> good uh, tangent because I don't know if you want to interrupt it for something like this. Oh, it's perfect. Yeah, I got to get, uh, you know, sometimes you got to get away, and all of a sudden you look at your clock. Yeah. So sometimes when you're in a creative mode, time, time escapes. It's almost like video games, right? When you play video games, you're like, oh, my God, it's 3 o'clock in the morning. Uh, yeah, I've done that many times. So um, you have your own podcast. You want to tell people uh, what that's about? Yes, I, I've done podcasts before, but this uh, this one called the St. Paul Filmcast started in uh, late March. And um, we concentrate uh, not just on big scale critique of movies. Uh, we do we critique large, you know, people would recognize titles, but we also try to um, provide a platform to, so we can interview and um, uh, talk, discuss independent filmmakers from Minnesota. It's been cool. You've had a lot of really good guests on there. Yeah, we've had. Um, and I've, it's surprising a lot of them were nice enough to say yes. Uh, they even, we have some people that have never podcast before, and I've actually said it's it's not like radio. We don't need the jingle, but you just come in here, lack we're kind of in a nice, comfortable setting, and you just get to talk about you and all your promotions, and it's it's. Turned out really well, actually. I'm really surprised that the independent filmmaking community here in Minnesota is really, really phenomenal, and the people are really wonderful. They are very approachable and happy to discuss their projects. It's been a wonderful experience so far. That's great. Yeah, and you release, I mean, gosh, it feels like four episodes a week or something. So I've, <laughs> so people are looking for something with fresh new content all the time. Check out St. Paul Filmcast. It's great. 
Um, and I would say that we just released a new one, but the, our latest episode, we uh, were nice enough to have uh, United States Hockey Hall of Fame member Henry Boucher. He's from Warrell, Minnesota. Come on my podcast, talk about his life. Uh, he was a professional hockey player. He played professional hockey for six years, and he was on the Olympic team, and um, he was nice enough. He came down and he was talking about his passion project, which is a film. Um, he's he's going to get made. Um, he doesn't it, – it just takes time. It's going to be made, but it's a passion project of his. And it's a documentary on Native American Olympic athletes. Wow, that's got to be pretty interesting. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a. It, I think it's a it's a it's an area of investigation that people don't really know about. That how many people that are Native Americans actually compete with for the United States in the Winter Olympics and Summer Olympics that they actually excelled. That's that's great. That'll be really uh, that'll be really interesting to watch and good to learn about. Yeah, hopefully he gets it out in a couple of years. In fact, he has like high school students working with him researching for finding more people. So, oh, that's cool. I never got to do anything like that in high school. Did you? No, I know, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> no, mine was always, oh, hey, let's do some math. Uh, come on. <laughs> I can't laugh at too hard. I married a math teacher. Ah, uh, okay, all right. Didn't mean to bash her. No, 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 no. We, we all, we all know it. I mean, even we all. Yeah, I know. She, I, I get her mad by you know when after dinner and I get the check. I was like, here, you like numbers, crunch those. Oh, by the way, you got to pay for it too. Yeah, you got. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh man, so should we get into these movies? Yeah, which because uh, I, I want to make a clarification. Um, we both watched a movie called Virus, but there's two different movies. There's, I think there's about four movies called Virus, technically. But we, when, I, when you said, let's research about a movie called Virus, I immediately went to the 1990 film. So yes. You did a different one. Which one did you do? I went to the 1980 Japanese submarine movie Virus. <laughs> Which fits your uh, podcast, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> how, did you find about, how did you find out about this movie? Uh, how do I find out about any of these movies? Really, I just I just sit there and I Google submarine movies, and you just uh, <laughs> you try to pick up on anything. I mean, you get like a million results. You know, obviously, you're going to start seeing Das Boot and Hunt for Red October. Those pop up immediately, but you gotta you gotta dig a little bit deeper, especially when you're getting into some of this weird stuff. All right, so it, from 1980, it's from Japan, right? Yes. What, what? How do you say it in Japanese? You think? How do you say virus? I don't. I would. I would probably sound offensive if I tried to <laughs> say it. Um, how did you were able to get a copy? Did you like order it or the uh, local library? They they uh, no kidding. The it. local library strikes again, huh? Yeah, they uh, they'll get it for me, man. Any anything across the country, if somebody's got it, they'll send it to me. And uh, from 1980, did it look a little bit dated, or did it look kind of documentary, kind of a style? What kind of what kind of did you really what kind of look to it really gravitated to you? Uh, it looked worse than movies from like the 50s and stuff that I've seen. I don't know what was going on with it over there, but it did not look that good. How about the movie you watched from '99? How did that look? Um, virus is one of the mm, from 1999, starring Jamie Lee Curtis and uh, Donald Sutherland with William Baldwin is 
considered one of the worst movies that came out in 1999. In fact, it came out in January of 1999, and it held that title throughout the whole year. Oh. One of the mo- worst movies. It gets us, uh, I think on Rotten Tomatoes, it's like a 9%. <laughs> It's that low? Yeah, yeah, just a 9%. Um, I think it's a saturated field of because it's one of those movies where the scavenger boat crew comes across a desolate big ship and they're going to scavenge for parts and something ominous is on the big boat, but they don't want to give it up because it's a moneymaker, right? If they scavenge for parts, they're big millionaires. Yeah. Then the monster slowly picks them off, of course, one by one by one, and then there's only two left. It's a formula that we've seen many times before, but actually done a lot better. <laughs> well, I feel super bad then that I made you sit through this uh, movie with a 9%. That's, uh, that's borderline punishment. It's actually, well, because it's actually based on a comic book called Virus. Uh, Chuck uh, Pefer, who's written a lot of bo- uh, screenplays, and it's his first, I think, um, his comic book. He wrote it, and you know, it's not hard to write, transfer writing screenplays to screenplays from comic books. It's the same kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you're just writing dialogue. And um, Dark Horse published Virus, and I think about 1998. And right when it got published, the film rights were picked up and the movie was made almost immediately right after the book was published. And it has the same kind of premise. In the book, In the book, it's a deserted Chinese cargo ship. In the movie, it's Russian. But Oh, okay. Almost all the other things of the movie is kind of like we see in the book. Um, and, of course, the alien is of electronic energy, so he picks up machine parts and he's assembling cyborgs to do his bidding. It's almost like a Bork. You know, remember Star Trek Borks? Yeah. Yeah. It's very much borrows from that material of, you know, it's like they're using humans and machines for spare parts to build up their super machine. So. Goodness. Um, Are you you familiar with the comic book? I've I've not. um, I don't have a copy of it, but I know I flipped through it at the, uh, the comic book store. Surprisingly, the comic book looks very clean. You think like a horror kind of comic book and very dark and brooding would be a little bit mysterious, but the the images and the the illustrations are very clean. Doesn't mean it's not gory and everything. I was surprising how right. not really dark it is. In fact, the movie's very dark. It's very badly lit. I don't know if they couldn't change a lamp bulb when they made the movie <laughs> for budget. But um, the book was very bright colored. It was really weird. I don't know. Maybe hmm. it's because the 90s, everything had to be bright colored. Do you think they made it super dark? Because we've seen movies where it's been very poorly lit. And I think that they did it because they didn't have the budget to make the special effects or anything that good. So you're like, oh, if it's super dark, we can't really tell what's going on. Right. I think that plays a part. Um, It's directed by John Bruno. This is probably his only full feature film that he directed because he's primarily a special effects guy. He's worked on a lot of movies that you would recognize as special effects. In fact, he's a special effects um, for, you know, like Terminators and all that movies and done. And this, I think he understood the special effects. This wasn't going to look right, so we're going to turn down the lighting and amp up the sound editing so we can get a sense of cyborgs. But it really was chunky and kind of, you know, it looked like they were trying to do the movie The Thing also, you know. Yeah. Just, it it was too dark and it just, it, the cutting just doesn't make a lot of sense either. He's... He's really been in some very big projects that have been amazing. He's in one that we've seen, The Abyss, which has 
phenomenal visuals. Yeah, I think that won an Oscar for special effects too, yeah. Yeah, he was also the visual effects supervisor for Avatar. Yep, yeah, and there's a weird connection with Avatar. Um, there's an actor that's in Virus. I can't remember. His, I think his name is Cliff Curtis, um, and he played a guy named uh, – I can't remember the guy's name, but he's also going to be in the – he signed on to do the next Avatar movies as well. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, yeah, there is an Avatar connection, yeah. Um, and he's got, you know, he has a tattooed kind of face. I can't, I think his name is Cliff Curtis. I think that's the guy's name is Cliff Curtis, but he has yeah. facial tattoos. And I think it's a homage to remember Moby Dick Ishmael. He was covered in tattoos. Oh, okay. And he was like the first mate and his name is Ishmael. And he, he was covered in tattoos. He was very, he was like a native person. And they kind of, I think it was an homage in the movie of had this guy from New Zealand have tattoos all his face and long hair. It's almost like, man, they're stealing from Ishmael. It's Moby Dick. <laughs> <laughs> and they pump out this worthless piece of crap movie. Right. Even back to the <laughs> captain's almost like, um, what is it, Captain Ahab? Yeah. Yeah. He's almost like just unapologetic, obsessive, compulsive. Like he's just greedy. I, I want to get this ship no matter the cost. If it kills my life, I'm going to get this thing. So, yeah, there's a lot of elements of Moby Dick in it that they used. It was <laughs> hilarious. <laughs> oh, my word. Uh, I can't believe you sat down and watched that one. So, the, so the one we watched was uh, completely different. It was a virus that wipes out. The entire planet, except for people living on Antarctica, because the virus can only uh, replicate and infect people in temperatures above freezing. So it's like and, a bacterial virus, not like any anything alien. No, it's not alien. They it was made in a lab for you know a chemical weapon, and it's made in a lab. They're being irresponsible. Yeah. Yep. That's <laughs> <laughs> it's how it works. There's always some bad blood between the U.S. and Russia, and then it just all hits the fan. So you have some um, – Glenn Ford was in it. He's a yeah. very famous um, – He's if anybody recognizes him, that's uh, – he played Jonathan Kent in the first Superman – the 70s Superman movie. He's Glenn Ford was that guy. And then you have George Kennedy too. Man, you got some – Oh, yeah. And Robert Vaughn. Man, you got some awesome people in this movie. I know. It's pretty uh, – Edward James almost is in it, and he's uh, – Really young looking. It's kind of odd. Because <laughs> he always looked like, what? I think in his 20s, he looked like he was 40 years old. <laughs> yeah, I know. So he must have been a teenager when he was doing this one. <laughs> 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 no, it, it has some bigger names in it. So it's primarily in English, Japanese, French, German. So how did you correl- uh, how did you navigate subtitles? Is it all English or what? It is all English. Thank God. Okay. All right. That helps a little bit. Right. <laughs> Yeah, but they they get all these people from different nations together and in Antarctica because they're the only people who are left, and they all have to work together. There's also some very odd things in the um, movie. I'll say that um, <laughs> because there's like 855 guys and eight women, so it gets the ratio doesn't. That's not going to work. No, it it gets weird. <laughs> some really weird quotes and things in that movie. Oh, it's a little okay. All right, I I understand. All right, so so I get the story that this Japanese sub comes across an American sub. Is that what that happens? And they're trying to like. No, there's just <laughs> most of the time it's on Antarctica, but then all of a sudden there's a sub 
that has no one infected on it. And so nobody, you know, has been exposed and that's their link to get around and check and see if people are still alive and um, protect the Antarctic base from people who may be trying to get there, who may be infected. So, like, it's not really, like, scientific-based. It's just an explanation to get everybody concentrated on, narrowed down the population to get, like, someone like Walking Dead, like, focus on the few remaining people alive. It's not really, like, a science-based kind of a movie, like Outbreak or something like that. Yeah, it's, uh, you are only focused on your survivors in Antarctica because everybody else is dead. Okay. Like, everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, because so it's like those survivor movies. It's pretty much a way to limit the population so you can concentrate just on a few people. Yep, yep, and then the fear factors. And I'm sure somebody inside the group is against them and is doing something that everybody doesn't agree on. I kind of right. Uh yeah. There, there's there's some of that. A little friction involved with everybody. Some alpha wow. male power playing, right? Yeah, have you seen this movie? <laughs> I don't it's because I've seen so many movies. <laughs> Did you like the ending? That's the most important. The ending. Um, uh, the ending made no sense. <laughs> that doesn't well. That doesn't help, and the ending doesn't make any sense. Because you invested like two hours, and you want some kind of like interest at the end, and it doesn't. It's like what? That makes it even you know. Yeah, it's it's kind of odd. So a guy. He has to disarm these nuclear bombs from going off that were armed by America and an earthquake's going to set them off and they're going to hit Russia. But then the Russian nukes are going to automatically launch. Even though everybody's already dead, they're going to launch and one of them's aimed at the Antarctic base where everybody's at. So he's got like his love interest down in Antarctica, but he's, but he's up in Washington, D.C. He is unable to stop the nukes. But he's in Washington, D.C., right? Okay. Yeah. But he's, so he's there because the sub takes him there. He's unable to stop it. And then I, I can only assume the base got wiped out in Antarctica because all of a sudden they're living in some weird makeshift hut. And <laughs> all of a sudden he shows up. Like he just walked there. I'm like, how do you, how do you walk to Antarctica? <laughs> you can't. There's no way. <laughs> this is almost like remember like the dark knight rises right remember when he gets out of the tunnel and then everything everything is closed off in gotham city but then he just shows up they don't really oh yeah what do you just start walking across the ocean or what <laughs> right all of a sudden he's just there so it's kind of like that he just like pop i'm there what <laughs> yeah I'm like okay whatever <laughs> gosh anything anything weird happen in uh virus 99 well, um, the the weird thing, if you watch Virus 99, the weird thing is, I think there's supposed to be this portrayal of the captain playing by Donald Sutherland as this heavy reserved, um, very brutish kind of character, but he comes off as not giving a crap the entire time he's in the movie. There's a scene where Jamie Lee Curtis punches him and he goes to the ground and he gives this look like, all right, <laughs> we're going to do take two. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> And it's one of the, you know, it, actually there is a, gr a cult following of people who appreciate this movie for the hokiness that it is. They understand that it's not going to be well accomplished. But the the way people 
correspond their dialogue in the movie is so static and it's so stiff that it's kind of hilarious almost because they'll say don't don't go close to that cyborg if he gets his armor on you're gonna he's gonna kill you and they're like kill me kill you and then it does and you're like well that why would you speak the line <laughs> so it's almost a comical portrayal it's almost the dialogue is so bad that it gets kind of fun to watch because it's so it's so stiff it's so unnatural it's a, yeah. yeah so with your movie virus do you think the dialogue was actually pretty good or do you think it was just kind of very almost static too i know this in a lot of bad movies that dialogue is just so weird uh it was it was all right i mean i've i've seen worse out of movies it's uh the dialogue didn't particularly blow me away, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It was it was there. It was fine. It didn't it didn't really like add or detract from the movie, one way or another. So was it kind of dark, or was it very brightly lit, or you know, kind of like a like a <laughs> like a B action movie? Yeah, I'd say that, and like really grainy and just you know visually not that good. I I can't even describe it how. How weird it looked. Like, movies from the 50s look better than this thing. I don't get it. But um, how about yours? How did it look? Like, I know you said it's super dark, but from the stuff you could see, it was... Right. There's there's always those uh, things that go on, like, they drop the anchor, but it crushes the boat they were on, so they, there's no way to escape. And you're like, well, that was a stupid move. Like, what are you... What? <laughs> so there's... You know, you need a reason why they can't escape, and the guy accidentally drops anchor on their boat, which is like, that probably would never, ever happen. You know, experience... <laughs> You know, whenever sailors, yeah, experienced sailors would never just accidentally drop the anchor on their own boat. They just got up. Well, we're stuck here. Well, we have to deal <laughs> with it. Um, an interesting note, footnote of this movie: it has a, a a person plays a minor role in it. His uh, the character's name is Richie. Is played by a guy named Sher, uh, Sherman Augustus, who actually played professional football for the Vikings and San Diego Chargers. Really? Yes. And this is one of his first movies he's ever been in. Um, if you want a little footnote, a little you know trivia and stuff, Sherman Augustus was actually in um, Westworld season two as a sheriff. Really? Yes, and he had a couple lines in Westworld two, and he's been um, a prominent person, uh, playing prominent character of uh, AMC's uh, series Into the Badlands. So his career did not start and stop here. No, no. In fact, he's just picked up minor different roles and slowly getting his, you know, taste and variety of stuff. And um, he's actually did some stunt work also. He's got the football build. Uh, but, um, yeah, he's you can find him on Into the Badlands. Um, and also he played his college football here at the University of Northwestern St. Paul um, campus. Wow. So that was, That's pretty cool. Yeah, it's interesting to find out. It's like I, I thought I knew all the – you know, people with Minnesota connections to movies, but you learn. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. So with the alien in your movie, was there any explanation of it or it was just, there's just an alien here and we just oh, got to yeah, they give it. that non-scientific. It's, it's energy. It's electrical energy. It can go into anything electrical, which, okay, whatever, but that it's electromagnetic because it need it doesn't, it can transfer from one space to another without a medium, right? So it's electromagnetic if I want to be technical. But um, it comes from outer space. In fact, at the beginning of the movie, this ray of energy comes right through the Mir space station and slices it through, and then it goes right into this boat. 
and that's the start of the movie. Almost like the thing, the movie, the thing. Remember, it's a spaceship that goes crashes right into the Arctic. We don't get an explanation what it is, but we just yeah crash, and then that's where the. So yeah, I think it's borrowed a lot from the thing. So from the thing, from Moby Dick, Moby Dick. <laughs> From the movie Alien, where you got your enclosed environment and it's dark and sweaty and everything, yeah. So I mean, these you know stories and movies we're talking about are all awesome, but it just doesn't come together in this. No, it just feels a little stiff, and it just you know they they have to have they have one Russian survivor on the boat. It's a Russian, of course, a Russian scientist, so they get some exposition, you know. But mm-hmm. um, I, it just doesn't, you know, their tension doesn't get there. And obviously, Jamie Lee Curtis is carrying the movie, and she really does. I mean, for a bad movie, she really works her butt off to get something out there that's worth watching. She actually is the highlight of the movie. And her her great dialogue and everything is actually the best part of the movie. It is always good when you have somebody who can kind of carry it. Uh, We just watched a movie called Dark Descent that is a Dean Cain film about a sub-base. he was surprisingly good in this bad movie and really carried it to a point where you're like, oh, I can sit down and watch this movie. <laughs> good. All right. If it was anybody else, you'd be like, I, I can't watch this. I don't think I've ever heard – I don't think I've ever in the, in the world where I hear somebody say Dean could – Dean Kane did good acting. <laughs> it was the first time for everything, right? Okay. Dark <laughs> Descent. Is that what it's called, huh? Yes. Okay. All right. I was going to mention the other aspect of this movie, the Virus, in 1999. Um, it was released January 15th. Um, that week also, uh, two movies came out, was Varsity Blues and She's All That. Oh, really? Yes, and it could not compete with that teenage romance stuff. That's how bad... You know, teenagers love horror movies, but they went to see Varsity Blues and She All That instead of this thing. Ah, What can you do, man? Hormones. I got everybody going crazy. Yeah. <laughs> the other, another aspect, and I think it's kind of weird, is um, Sci-Fi Channel came out with a movie the same month called Alien Cargo with Jason London, and it actually is a better than this movie called Virus. And pe- really, and you can there's people that you can if you want to navigate the internet, people have found it. And actually, I watched it for a couple minutes. It's actually. Everybody knows it's a ripoff of like those alien movies, but it's presented really well. They know what they're doing, and it gives a hank. You know, we're picking up this cargo we don't know anything about. Do you want to touch it? What do you think? I am an idiot, you know? <laughs> right. So, but it actually is surprisingly good. Like Dark, Dark Descent, you're like, it's a cheap movie, but it's actually interesting. I was actually, I wanted to finish watching that movie, then I wanted to finish Virus. <laughs> You're like, great, but I got to watch this movie that Kyle asked me to, and <laughs> it's not even the right one, and oh, great. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry we put you through that. Um, based on submarines, do you know what kind of subs they had in the in the in your virus movie? Or I know you're not really that kind of a focus, but did they at least get the submarines correct? Like, this is a Japanese sub with Japanese. Well, they they did have the Russian sub, and everybody on there was going a little crazy. And that's all we've ever seen in movies. <laughs> we've never seen a Russian sub where everybody's like, super calm. Things are always going wrong. And then they had a UK sub. But this is really the first movie we've watched where we've seen a full-size UK sub. Everything else has been 
Well, we had one movie where they were mini subs. So it was uh, for our intents and purposes. Yeah, it was it was pretty well done. Although there was a laboratory in there that looked like it was not on a submarine that this guy was working on. The ceiling was like a 12 foot ceiling and, you know, had a nice tiled wall. I'm like, all right, that's not happening. Because you can't have <laughs> tile in a sub, right? Because com- it compresses and retracts, right? So you can't have like a tile ceiling in a sub, right? Well, it would just, I mean, it would just be a waste anyway. You're like, what, what do we need this for? Nothing. For aesthetics? Okay. Why, why are we putting this in here? <laughs> so stuff like that that you're like, well, no, that's weird. Oh, man. Right. So yeah. did they make a sequel out of this? Not that I've seen. I would like to see a remake. Okay. I think it could be done very well. So they have some kind of nucleus for this movie that if they took it to the right hands, will make it a very interesting kind of dynamic of the entire world's crapped out and you're trapped on Antarctic because that's the only way we can survive because somehow the temperature keeps you there, right? You're right. outside the temperature, the virus kill you. So you got some kind of idea. I mean, the thing did it, right? Yeah. <laughs> and they did it really well. <laughs> Other than that, um, what was what was the other um, Japanese movie based on subs that you've seen before? Because this is not the first one, right? No, this is not. Uh, we have been watching. We've done how many now? Two. We did Latitude Zero. Okay. Which is amazing. That's got flying dragon and lion monsters in it and all that type of stuff. Right, yeah. And the submarine even flies. And then we watched Lorelei, the Witch of the Pacific Ocean. Yeah, yeah, and you guys did. You didn't do an episode about that yet, have you? Yeah, we did. That was uh, that was last week. Oh, I need to catch up. I'm sorry. Uh, it's all right. <laughs> I need to catch up. on the on the cover. It says um, Japan's answer to Das Boot. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, well, I don't know. I don't know about that, but. It was something. It's their answer. It doesn't mean it's the correct answer. <laughs> That's true. So, like, with Japan, they usually, with the style, it's overly the top, like, way over-exaggerated. Did you get a sense yeah. of that throughout the movie, that there's an this enormous exaggeration to this? Yeah, you would see that in more so the first two that we watched rather than this one. So, in this, there were some things that were kind of exaggerated, like when they were listing the death tolls of people by city yeah like like, new york paris tokyo or whatever but when it got to tokyo it was like (laughs) (laughs) yes japan loves to cater to its own audience if you notice Mm -hmm. uh, right away it's it it, it, it's not a it's not an insult and anything it's just an observation that anytime that japan does a movie their central home base it's a little more brooding it's a little more foreboding of anything that happens to them than anything like they do godzilla the devastation of tokyo is far more devastating than he goes america and just stomps on and it's like okay that okay you got yours end but yeah they have a tendency to really focus on the home end of those there they want to make sure their home audience gets it before the rest of the international perspective Definitely right. Yeah. In fact, um, I think this movie does it. Play, does it have like play of America and Japan kind of a competition, or do they kind of mostly work it out? They work it out for the most part. It's really not. Uh, 
It's really not them, but they do take a ride on over to Tokyo in the submarine to go check out what's going on over there, just to see the devastation. But along those lines, you just mentioned Godzilla and all that stuff, so we have been doing Japanese Submarine Movie Month. Do you have any particular Japanese movies that you really enjoy? Um, just Japanese movies in general. Yeah, I would. Well, I would. I'll just go with the automatic, like Kurosawa. Just say anything from Kurosawa. In fact, my favorite from Kurosawa is his version of Macbeth, which is Throne of Blood. You ever seen him really? that? No, I haven't. That sounds pretty intense. It's his version of Macbeth, and of course, it's Japan, so it's way more murder and way more gaudy than you think. And um, in the, a cinematic footnote of Throne of Blood is. There's a scene where the um, the guy kind of like Macbeth, but they're shooting arrows at him, like hundreds of people, and they really are shooting arrows at him. Really? They run one end of the balcony, and he'll shoot arrows, and when he stops, they'll go right in front of him. So he, they had really skilled archers to shoot real-life arrows. So when you, you can look at this footage up. So when you see his terror, it really is frightening to him, These how accurate these archers are shooting arrows at him. Of course, he's got like a body body protector he's got a lot yeah. of armor and they did shoot arrows at him but the the end of it was so small it wouldn't penetrate him but they did stick to his chest it's one of the most fascinating scenes of cinema ever is the ending of throwing the blood where they shoot all the arrows at him it is wonderfully fascinating and you really see the terror on the guy's eyes he wants to get he's like running like <laughs> i'm sure he's like screaming cut i'm done i don't want to do this anymore and he's yeah. still shooting arrows and closely hitting him Slightly missing him. It's fascinating to me. That is crazy. I cannot imagine anybody getting away with that nowadays. Oh, no, no, no. Your, your union rep would probably call you up. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I just got a call from Craig, and uh, he says you guys were shooting arrows at him. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh. That's nuts. And I understand, you know, Kurosawa, is, his formulas has been used. And we see Kurosawa's influence in all the movies that we've seen. In fact, these movies where he gets the action out of the way and then settles the story down. We see that all the time in our movies. You know, We get the action right away and then we get the story. Then we build up to another action. So like your famous directors like Lucas and Spielberg and all of them know that formula, the Kurosawa formula. They use it in Star Wars and Raiders of the big action sequence and it gets you in there for the first 10 minutes and then everything settles down and we go over their story. And just like this movie, you get your big action with the big like virus, you get your big action out of the way and then you can settle into your story and figure things out. And he, Yep. That's the big influence is Kurosawa, yeah. Now did... Virus 99 do that. They initially did. They just want to give an explanation of where this came from. It came from outer space, of course. It's just, it had crashed through the Earth. And um, obviously, the nice play of this is what is a virus? That's the whole point of this movie. Is the alien coming in who wants to correct things a virus that he deems humans a virus? Or is the human's perspective he's a virus because he keeps taking stuff and molding it to his perspective? So. There is, in the, by its core, there is a good story there, a good metaphor of what a virus is. Mm-hmm. But a couple months later, the, you get the Matrix, but it did, did a fantastic job of what is a virus and all that stuff, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't think if you put virus versus the Matrix. Uh, yeah, I, I, well, it's the same year, yeah. This movie, Virus in 99, came out in January, and then I think 
uh, in the spring, the movie The Matrix came out, and then that was it. I mean, they're just not going to recover. You know, everybody's <laughs> focus is going to be on that. So uh, what? who did you side with on this? Were the humans the virus, or was this electromagnetic alien the virus? Well, right, because it's almost like the Matrix. The, the computer program is perceptive. Like, you just come and damage everything. Look, you damage the ship. I'm trying to fix everything. But with, mm-hmm. for him, he's scrapping only what he needs, right? He's not really making anything better. He's just scrapping to survive. So, in fact, you could probably have an argument that he's the virus no matter what his perception is. It or whatever you know you don't want to assume gender on that electromagnetic alien no i didn't i couldn't you know it's so dark i couldn't tell if it was <laughs> oh man so on our show we always rate our sub movies yeah out of 12 inches but what would you say that you would give virus i i would give it just because jamie lee's performance i'll give it around a two a two. Okay. It's pretty low. It is. I'm sadly it is. But it, if without Jamie Lee Curtis, it could have been worse. <laughs> well, if you want to see even worse, go ahead and watch the movie Stinger. It's probably the worst movie I've ever seen in my life. Uh, I'll just take your word for it. <laughs> yeah, I probably punished you enough having you watch Virus. Well, I, 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 I understand because I do have a collection. I, I do, and I, I tell everybody, I do have a collection of what's called drive-through classics, about 80 films that are just cheap groundhouse movies. And my when I told my dad, hey, look, I bought these from the 60s, 70s, groundhouse drive-in movies. And he was like, what's the matter with you? Those are the movies you take your date with so you don't focus on the movie. <laughs> Consciously watch these movies? Yeah. You're an idiot. <laughs> hey, that's uh, that could explain why all the teenagers didn't go to this one then, huh? Because <laughs> <laughs> they thought it was going to be too good. Right, right. Too, can't it be too good? So what would you rate the Japanese movie Virus from 1980? What would you give it a rating of? Oh. Yeah, that's not good when you go. Uh, I, well, it, it had some things I liked. It had some things I didn't like. I better make this consistent with the episode, so I'll have to... It'll probably be like a 5.25. Okay. All right. Yeah. It's definitely watchable. But. I understand, because you got some good people. I mean, you got George Kennedy, you got Edward James almost in it. I mean, even if you know how bad it is, you get some good actors in there. Yeah. Yeah. So it was interesting concept, but uh, I I would think that somebody could remake this today and be very successful well get on screen you can screenwrite it can't you <laughs> sure <laughs> kyle's on it yeah the virus right there okay studios be like this guy just keeps contacting us about remaking virus from japan like leave us alone you gotta put something else on it the, the virus or something else because there's so many movies that just have virus on it if you google virus oh, you get a, almost you almost get a virus by google <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know it. It's, it's crazy. <laughs> but uh, I think things are about winding down here. Um, oh, man, this is too much I fun. I like talking movies too much. This is way too much fun. Dude, I know. I, I love it, too. It's a blast. But um, real quick again, uh, before we go, just St. Paul Filmcast, check it out. Uh, what's your Twitter handle? Or what's the best way for people to follow you, everything like that? Best way to really follow us is on Twitter. I give a bunch of, a bunch of update, uh, updates and um, give let me know ahead of time what's going about. Um, so we're on Twitter at S.T. Paul 
filmcast s t paul filmcast um and we're also on instagram same kind of handle at s t p paul filmcast we're also on instagram as well awesome and where can everybody listen to your podcast uh st paul filmcast is on stitcher google play we are on itunes of course uh podbean is our distributor and we are on spotify as well that's awesome and be sure to look for your comic book now you're getting it published do you know when it should be coming out um i we we haven't got communication with my publisher yet but definitely coming out in the fall this fall that'll be awesome i'm really looking forward to it well thank you yeah somehow we have to get you guys a copy oh yeah i will i will order one I hope I hope it's autographed, but if not, I understand. If you're too big for me, it's fine. <laughs> you know, some people who collect comic books don't want you to autograph. It's a good question I always ask because some people, if you autograph it, it does depreciate the value of it. So, so you really, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just you know because there are collectibles. I you know you kind of always ask people when I buy it, do you want me to sign it? Some people, it's actually almost a praise to say no. I don't want you to sign it. I wanted to go up in value. I know you're going to do good. Well, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to slap you in the face and by asking for a signature. <laughs> probably like, screw this guy. Goodness. <laughs> well, I have to say, Kyle, thanks for having me on. I this is this is actually is too much fun. You're gonna have to come. We're gonna have to keep going with doing with this. Yeah, coming oh, up here and I come down there and stuff. Yeah, definitely. And I know we even talked about doing a live event at a brewery, which needs to happen. Oh yeah, yes, yes. It's my reason to go to a brewery. I need a valid reason. So yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you again for coming on. Really appreciate it. Well, thank you for having me. Um, always looking forward to your next episodes. And now I notice I'm a little behind, so I know what I'm going to be listening to as I go back to my comic book. Thanks for listening to Submersion. Find us on SoundCloud and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Can't get enough of us? Don't forget to subscribe for new episodes every Thursday. And if you like what you heard, please go ahead and give us a rating.